The word of our Lord from the book of Deuteronomy. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments with the, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the day which you in the land in which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. They shall, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, help us to hear your voice and help us to follow. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The book of Proverbs tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But what makes a man? It is fellow iron that sharpens the man, but what makes the man? What makes a person? Especially, what makes an adult? What is it that, that, that shapes us, that makes us, that turns us into who we are and who we are on the trajectory of being? Just as iron is forged in heat, so is the metal of a man forged in fire. The family is the oven of fire God uses to shape us into who we are. What does it mean to be a person made in God's image was the question that we were asking last week. What does it mean to be like Him? How has He made us? How has He crafted us? We discussed various ways in which mankind's fall is seen in human brokenness, sexual brokenness, whether it be through confusion or destruction, relational brokenness, which we see in society and also in families. And so this morning, we turn our attention to what is the family and how does God use the family to shape us. First things first, who decides what a family is? God. You remember from last week, I said that God is the one who defines reality. And for us to speak truth is for us to speak and affirm that which corresponds to reality. It is God who has crafted the family. It is God who has set the parameters, the boundaries, if you will, 
of what it means to be a family. The one who told the sun where to sit and the one who told the moon where to park it. The one who said, let there be light. The one who divided the waters and the land. The one who sets the boundaries of nature is the one who sets the boundaries of relationships. It is God who decides what a family is because He is the author of all reality. He is the origin of all truth. The foundation of the family is marriage. A question that's been asked for quite, uh, quite a bit the last few years has been, well, what makes a marriage? And so you've had Christian groups scrambling for the last couple of or so years trying to articulate in doctrinal form what has always been understood throughout human history. Our member organization, the Association of Independent Methodists, we found ourselves having to wrestle with that same question. What is biblical marriage? You see aberrations of marriage even in Scripture. You see brokenness in marriage even in Scripture. You see the distortions of marriage. But just because you see it in Scripture does not mean that God affirms it or condones it. But historically, we came to, to settle upon what, is, what has historically been known as Christian marriage. And here's what we said. Christian marriage is the covenantal union before God of one natural man and one natural woman to live together as husband and wife. In saying that the foundation of, mar- of the family is marriage... What I intend to say is that marriage is the ideal starting point of the family. There are times when life turns out as a result of sin and brokenness and tragedy to offer us less than ideal circumstances. We see death in families, we see brokenness in families. We sometimes see estranged spouses and unfaithfulness, fornication. But God is able and willing to give grace to meet the need of our brokenness. He will always have mercy on those who humbly and truly seek Him. But what we must never do is arrogantly embrace our brokenness, refuse our Creator's ideals, or foolishly try to change the rules of reality. The foundation of the, mar- of the family is marriage. In family... 
We find ourselves living in close proximity to others who are like us but different. However, we must keep from falling for the temptation of reordering reality here. To say that people in families live in close proximity to one another is not to say that any people living in close proximity to one another comprise a family. Again, it is God who decides what is and is not a family. Folks who live together are not necessarily a family. Fraternities, guys living in dorm life, gals living in dorm life, roommates, live-ins. They may in some ways be like a family, but that does not necessarily make them a family. But proximate living is to our benefit. Living in close quarters is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it can be used as a remarkably good thing. It builds personal character to constantly have to wait for others to get out of the way. It builds good character to constantly have to wait for others to finish using the restroom. We don't always like living in proximity, but it is to our advantage because God shapes us as iron sharpens iron, and iron sharpens iron only through the rubbing and bumping. It was the Lord Himself who said that aggravations are good for us. What else could He mean by that whole iron sharpening iron talk? But we've been told a lie. We've been told the lie that we can very well get along in life without inconvenience, without aggravation, without disappointment. And what's more, we've been told that Such is our right. We ought not have to be inconvenienced. We ought not have to be disappointed or aggravated. We hear the lie that screams to us, whatever makes you happy. And so if we're not happy, we get rid of those things that aren't making us happy. It's sad But most of us have believed these lies to our own detriment and to that of our families. But family isn't just about making ourselves happy. In fact, marriage isn't just about making ourselves happy. If it were... What a horrible reality to live in. I mean, we are so fickle and sometimes so miserably unhappy by the weirdest of things. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get into the car and it's been sitting out in the parking lot, especially on a summer day and it's awfully hot, I forget about the fact that I'm in a car that just cranked up. 
I forget about the fact that I've got innumerable radio stations that I could listen to and I could plug my phone into it and listen to millions of different songs. I'm so unhappy that it's so stinking hot in this car that just cranked up. It was nice riding with Bill yesterday. We got in the car and it was nice and toasty. And he said, I can cool your seat if you'd like. I thought, well, maybe I'd be happy in this car. <laughs> but as people, we, we are sometimes, we sometimes make ourselves miserable. And if life were just about being happy, and family was just about being happy, and marriage was just about being happy, I mean, where, does, where do we stop making the changes and kicking folks out and, and whatnot? Cutting folks off. What is a family to be about? If God designed it, if God made it, what is it to be about? It is to be about the betterment and shaping of its members. Christian parents are called to raise Christian children into Christian adults. That's what the book of Deuteronomy reminds us in chapter 6. That's what Paul reminded the Ephesians in chapter 6 of his New Testament epistle. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Christian parents are called to raise Christian children into Christian adults. Though we often settle for less, this is our mission. What do you mean? How do we often settle for less? Well, we do a number of things. One thing that we sometimes do, often, is we settle for raising sinners who will hopefully one day turn to the Lord. After all, if in the end we are essentially sinners, unable to be otherwise, why not raise our kids this way? And unfortunately, and to the detriment of the church and to the detriment of our culture, many who claim to be Christian, have raised their children not to be Christian, but to be something else, but to be something different, in the hopes that maybe, once they've got the badness out, then maybe they'll return to the Lord. We also settle for less in settling for raising adults who are simply good, responsible, and successful. We seem to be aiming simply for raising citizens of America rather than ambassadors for Christ. All we seem to want for our kids is to get into a college, earn decent money, stay out of trouble, and be self-sufficient. But that is a far cry short 
of what the Scriptures implore parents to do. Because Christian parents are called to raise Christian children into Christian adults. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in providing a good life for our kids that we miss the opportunity to teach them how to live a great life. We settle for the good and miss out on the great. We settle for decent and safe and miss out on Christian. But I'm convinced that our culture will never be rebuilt until the church returns to the Lord and gets back into the business of making disciples and raising Christian families. It'll take sacrifice for sure. Forging iron is not easy. It takes sweat. Sometimes blood and tears with it. It might take bucking the status quo. It might take ignoring the conventional wisdom. It might take weathering the peer pressure, being different, being odd, not being like other families. It might even take rejecting the family advice. Bill and I were driving back together from Bessemer, Alabama. I'd been there for a meeting. And he was telling me as we were uh, passing through Dallas, Georgia, he was telling me about, uh, I think, their niece, how they were raising their kids. And I think the, the son had turned 16 and got his first cell phone, a used one. And for years, even the family had been pressuring, like, why in the world does this kid not have a phone? Let us get him a phone. He needs a phone. How's he going to stay connected with all of his friends and whatnot? And this isn't about cell phones. This isn't about technology. But is a cell phone and a kid having a cell phone really worth the risk that sometimes come with such. Jesus said, whatever it is, whether it is your right eye or your right hand that is causing you to sin, get rid of it. It doesn't matter if it makes you weird or different or odd or strange. For the church to return to the Lord and get back into the business of making disciples and raising Christian families, it's going to take sacrifice. Not just sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice, but intentional 
reflection, intentional purpose in Lord, what is your best for us? And what would it take for us to get there? Again, that does not necessarily mean kids shouldn't have cell phones. It doesn't necessarily mean that kids or or adults for that matter ought to stay away from Facebook or anything like that. But it does mean that we need to be serious about who we are and who we are raising our families to be. What drives and motivates and dominates our families? Jesus said, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost of following Jesus and making true disciples and raising Christian families, whatever the cost may be, it'll be worth it. Only the Lord offers hope. He insists on using families. It is His modus operandi. It is His way of working. For the idea of the family was birthed in the heart of eternity when one eternal person looked to another eternal person and said, Father. God has designed the family and God calls families who call themselves His to live accordingly and to raise up those who resemble His family. Let's pray.